0: Podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We have started a study in the life of Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Kings chapter 17. We Elijah, as we mentioned last week, arrived on the scene at one of the darkest hours of is in Israel's history 58 years earlier king solomon had passed off of the scene and after he died as we mentioned last week the hebrew nation making up you know the 12 tribes making up the hebrew nation ended up dividing and becoming two kingdoms the southern kingdom was was initially ruled by a cruel and callous king by the name of Rehoboam, he was actually Solomon's son, the northern kingdom was initially ruled by a gifted but godless king named Jeroboam. And after Jeroboam died, there was a series of brutal and bloody revolutions in the northern kingdom, and over six decades of wickedness had prevailed. Now, you'll remember from last week, those of you who were here, that there were 19 kings that initially, you know, that, that ruled through the entire time of the, the, the northern kingdom up until Assyria came and carried them off into captivity, and of those 19, not a single one of them did right in the sight of the Lord. So after six, at this point, when Elijah comes on the scene, six decades of wickedness have prevailed, open idolatry political corruption, moral decay. Increasingly sinful, evil rulers continued to rise to power. They just got worse and worse and worse. And all of this wickedness reached an all-time, not high, but low (laughs) under the reign of King Ahab is where we are at at this point. He is the seventh king in this line of 19. He's number seven. We looked at this king and his wife Jezebel last week, and it was not a pretty picture. Meanwhile, in the rough and rugged region called known as Gilead, God was preparing a man who would stand in the presence of the Lord, a man who would speak With the power of the Lord, a man who was familiar with the laws of God, a man with some backbone willing to stand alone boldly and courageously. Armed with the mission of God and the promise of his presence, Elijah marched to the capital in Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, and confronts the evil king Ahab. Abruptly, dramatically, without warning, he bursts into the royal court, standing face to face with Ahab, and declares the message of God. And he does so fearlessly. Look again at verse 1. It's where we left off last week. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbah in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, The God of Israel lives, whom I serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, consider with me if the drought and the famine that would naturally follow, prophesied by Elijah, actually took place then this would be really, really strong evidence that the Lord is the only living and true God, which they needed to be reminded of. They needed to come back to that place in the northern kingdom. Well, of course, a severe drought and famine did happen. It did occur. And so this was saying to everyone, the Lord is the only living and true God. There is no other. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He and He alone controls the laws that govern the very existence of the universe, all of life throughout the universe, visible or invisible, physical or spiritual. He controls. He is over. No matter how much someone might stand there and argue and deny the existence of God, I got good news for you. No matter how fierce they may get about denying his existence, does not void his existence. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Just because they say he doesn't, doesn't mean he doesn't. (laughs) He is alive and he is uh, real. He is the only living and true God. There is no other. We And all of the rest of creation are the work of his hands. Church, truth is truth, and God is the truth. Amen? Amen. The very thing that God had communicated through his prophet came to pass, exactly as God promised. There wasn't a drop of rain to bring any relief. Everything dried up and withered away. The land became parched. Rivers stopped flowing, and the king was helpless to do anything about it. God keeps his promises. You've heard me say time and time again through the years here that our God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Now, you and I, we typically love to key in on the good promises, right? The promise of blessing. We like those. But we sometimes, I think, forget that His promises are promises, and He also lets us know that there is consequence, right? To our unbelief and to our sin, to our bad behavior. So there's promises there too. We don't care so much for those, but He promises. And when He makes a promise, whether it's good or bad, blessing or judgment. He's going to keep that promise, and he never forgets his promises. You and I need to never, ever forget that. Amen? So let's look at verse 2. As we move on now in this, then, so here's Elijah. He just burst in, right? Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I love that verse. What a great verse that is. Anybody here interested in hearing the word of the Lord? (laughs) Good. That's good. Because he's a good God, and don't you know he wants to impart to you his word? We've talked here before just a few weeks ago, really, about the logos, the written word, and the rhema, the spoken word, right? And he wants to bring that to us He is so good in that way. What a great verse this is. In John 10, we have a great promise from the Lord. He says to us there, My sheep, hear my voice. But it doesn't just say they hear my voice. It goes on and says, And they know me. Listen, if you are part of his flock, if you are a sheep, In his pasture. If you have a heart and a love for God, I assure you that the word of the Lord will come to you. That's his heart. That's what he longs to do. Something will be said, or a scripture will be be seen to you and come to light, leap off the page, as we like to say, that will pierce and speak to your heart or provoke your thoughts, and you will know beyond a shadow of doubt it is a word from the Lord for you. Isn't that that great? And some of us here have experienced that. Let's read on. Look at verse 3 now. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now, like we discovered last week, because we know that Elijah has a nature just like ours. You guys remember that? James five seventeen. It's possible, just possible, that this was not an easy thing for Elijah to do. The prophet is, no doubt, he's pumped. <laughs> he's just walked in. He's wild-eyed, <laughs> hair everywhere. In fact, he's wearing hair. <laughs> remember, we looked at that that description that we find in 2 Kings chapter 1. And he makes this pronouncement. He's pumped. He's ready for the big, big confrontation. He's pumped up for the the showdown. He's ready for the big game. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, God says, I need you to leave here. To use some sports analogy, He's being benched. What? Now, why is this happening? Why is God all of a sudden sent him there, makes the announcement, and then says, okay, time to leave. I'm going to put you in a place of isolation now. The Lord called Elijah away for some reasons, and let's look at some of those. Obviously, to protect also to provide, but there would also be a preparation involved in his removing him from the scene at this point in time. Apparently, while Ahab is in a state of shock, you and I would be too, right? Some wild guy comes in like that and makes this announcement, who is he, where is he from, who is this guy? Just as abruptly as he shows up, God abruptly removes him. (laughs) Before Elijah can act or say, arrest that guy, he's gone. Elijah walked out just as abruptly as I said, just as quickly as he showed up. And Ahab no doubt would have over time as this drought and famine continued to wear the nation down and have its effect on them, wouldn't have become increasingly angrier and angrier and angrier. And don't you know, there would be a manhunt like never had there been a manhunt out looking for this guy. In addition to the protection that God is obviously providing for Ahab, because he's not going to be a a prophet who's one and done. (laughs) He's got more to do, right? Right? So God's going to protect him. But in addition to this, to the protection, there's going to be provision. Provision would be made for Elijah as the Lord sent ravens to do a flyover and bomb groceries on him. (laughs) Look at verse 4 with me. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Again, with a nature like ours, Elijah may have momentarily thought something along the lines of what you and I may have thought, Lord, Um, hey, I just got here. (laughs) Lord, I just picked a fight. (laughs) And do you really want me to leave now? It's just getting fun. And besides, Lord, birds? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Is this the best you got, God? (laughs) I mean, these birds, they're going to be hungry, and if they've got something as they're flying in my way, they're going to eat it at all before they even get to me, Lord, really? So why does the Lord choose this way? Well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because he's smarter than we are right? Because he sees things we don't see. He knows things we don't know. Church, we can trust him. Even with these crazy ideas, crazy to us, but we can trust him. I mean, think about it. If he had asked some people to be the senders of the food to keep the provision going for Elijah, well, there would have been the temptation of not only them being followed and tracked, but also tempted for a nice price to turn them over. Animals could have been used, but they too could have been tracked. But who would have ever thought birds? You could just hear Elijah say what we would, you and I would say, God, this is for the birds, right? but God chooses the birds. (laughs) God provided miraculously, but also naturally. You see, for although the ravens brought bread, Elijah was to draw his own water. What we see here, I think, is a beautiful, perfect balance of the methods and the heart of our God. On one hand, working miraculously. On the other, working naturally. He still works this way, church, today and in our lives. We do what we can do as we are obeying him. Amen? But aren't you so glad that he comes alongside us and does what you and I can't do? Hallelujah. Stretching us, growing us, maturing us, and yet showing us that He is the one who is ultimately in control. Amen? You and I are not. God's direction includes God's provision. God says, Go down there to the Kerith Ravine, to the brook there, and I will provide for you. Vance Havner, in his book, It Is Toward Evening, tells the story of a group of farmers. And it's been around for a really, really long time, and, and, and you probably have heard it, but it's such a great story and so illustrates what we're talking here. I want to share it with you. He shares the story of a group of farmers who were, who were raising cotton in the deep south. Uh, kind of in the late 19-teens uh, into the mid early and mid-twenties. But during the 1920s, when the devastating bull weevil had brought some horrible destruction, eating up all of the cotton that had been planted, these, these folks, these farmers, who had put all of their savings, dedicated all of their fields, set all of their hopes into cotton, saw it all go up in smoke, so to speak. Because then the bull came. And before long, it looked like they were all headed for the poorhouse. But farmers, being the determined and ingenious people that they are, decided, well, hey, if we can't Plant cotton, let's plant peanuts. And we with again, (laughs) with natures like ours, that's just nuts, right? (laughs) I'm sure people thought that. But they did. They planted peanuts. And amazingly, those peanuts brought them more money than they would have ever made raising cotton. When when the farmers realized that what seemed like a disaster had actually proved to be a benefit, you know what they did? They set up a statue of the bull weevil. It's there today. You can go to Enterprise, Alabama, and there's this quite amazing statue of a bull weevil. That probably, I guess, serves as a constant reminder as history marches on that what once looked like disaster, what once looked like horrible, we're done, it's over, became the very best thing that could have ever happened to them. Folks, sometimes we settle into a humdrum routine as monotonous as growing cotton, (laughs) Year after year, says Vance Havner in his book, himself a seasoned old saint at the time of his writing this. Then God sends the bull into our lives. He jolts us out of the old groove that we just kind of got complacent in. And we must find new ways at that point to live in Christ. Financial reverses. Great sorrow, physical illness, loss of position. How many have been driven by trouble to become better people of God? How many? Bringing forth greater amount of spiritual fruit as a result. Which should be what really is the most important thing to every single one of us. Amen? Amen. Not the dollars in our bank but the fruit that we are bringing in the kingdom of God. The best thing that could have ever happened to some of us was the coming of our very own bull weevil. We have to learn to trust God one day at a time. Now, did you notice that God never told Elijah what the second step would be until he had taken the first step? God told this prophet, go to Ahab, make this announcement. And after Elijah got there to the royal palace and made that prophetic pronouncement, God told him, now it's time to get out. (laughs) I want you to head to Kerith Ravine. He didn't tell Elijah what was going to happen there at Kareth. He just said, go and hide yourself. Elijah didn't know the future, but you know what he did have? He did have the promise of God. Folks, so do we. I'll provide for you there, Elijah, just do as I've asked. There's another reason why Elijah, I think, is removed from the scene. As I said, it's preparation. You know what Kareth means? It means the cutting place. We've all seen ravines. They are cut out of rock, literally, aren't they? Becoming the ravines that they are. That's interesting because here was a man who's a nobody from nowhere who was beginning to move in power and prominence and authority, and now he's being hidden away in obscurity as God temporarily cuts him out of the picture and also is going to cut away on him. You see, there must be a charis before there can be a carmel. And if you're familiar with the story... You know, there's going to be a showdown at Mount Carmel. We will come to that. Before the crown, there must be a cross. Has it felt like you've been at Kareth lately? Perhaps it's because, like Elijah, you're being prepared for something even greater. God's ways, have you found out? are not our ways. (laughs) You see, God has a plan, and he wants to transform Elijah from Elijah the Tishbite to Elijah the man of God as he shows up in verse 24 of this chapter and is referred to for the rest of the time, mostly. Elijah the man of God. One of the hardest lessons that a believer will ever learn is that God must send you to Kareth, every single one of us. So that his image may be more clearly revealed in every one of our lives. It was in this place at Careth that Elijah truly became a man of God. It was here that he learned to trust God completely. It was here that Elijah was taught to lean on the Lord fully. Church, before we can ever give anything out, we must first be be willing to take in from the Lord. Before God can pour anything out of our lives, he must first be able to put something into our lives. We all need to learn that the value of the hidden and disciplined life, we need that. Oh, how we need that. You see, there is a part of us that the world sees and there's a part of us that the world does not see. And it is the part that people do not see that truly defines who we are. It is that time spent alone in the presence of God that can make all the difference, not only in this life, but in eternity as well. Are you letting God work in you what he's wanting to work in you? Or are you fighting him? At every turn. Verse 5 and 6 now. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine. East of the Jordan. And stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat. In the morning. And bread and meat. In the evening. And he drank. From the brook. Ultimately. Rather he may have had a momentarily thinking, but but <laughs> ultimately there's no argument from Elijah as to why he should stay. Elijah obeyed. And do you notice here in the narrative, he doesn't even ask why, like we would. <laughs> but why? Like our little kids, right? Remember when you had kids? But why? <laughs> Go make your bed, Johnny, but why? (laughs) Elijah, there's no why. It's removed. He obeyed. Listen, I have a question. Would you, would I, accept such an assignment from God? Would you respond with such immediate obedience? How many of us would just say nothing except, yes, sir, yes. Because you say so, I will. Yes, because I trust you completely. Yes. When the Lord sends us to a difficult place in life, there is the tendency to want to be somewhere else. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. After all, who likes unpleasant discomfort and pain? Who likes sickness? Who likes financial trouble? Who likes struggle? What we must learn is that if God sends us to a careth, he knows what he is doing. Amen? Amen? The only place, really, church, for us to be is where God wants us to be. The best thing that you and I can do is to just to submit to the will of God for our lives and learn to trust him, trust him, trust him. While we remain there at Keras. I think we sometimes forget who's in control. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I just want to remind you that it is the Lord who is the one who sends us to Careth. It is merely part of his plan for your life. And Romans eight twenty eight assures us of that. For in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called to his purpose. Therefore, you have only two choices, really. Just come down to two. You can either rebel and fight God, get and stay miserable. (laughs) Or, like Elijah, you can say, yes, Lord, submit to God, and he will work out his plan in your life. It's your choice. There's another great verse just down from verse 28 in Romans 8. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. This is verse 35. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? You see, every choice, trial, circumstance, good or bad, failure or triumph, is like a single thread that is part of a greater fabric that represents our lives. I want you to really understand this, church. At first glance, some threads may seem frayed or out of place, especially when we encounter hardships that test our faith and our resolve. But Romans 8.35 challenges us to see the various circumstances that come into our lives, not as isolated threads that we are to freak out over as there's something different from what's going on over here and what we want over here in the greater part of our lives. Not as foreign, unwanted things that don't belong, but as a part of a magnificent tapestry being woven by God's hand where his love is the thread that binds everything together, creating the overall beautiful picture that is the story of our lives. Are you hearing that? Everything together, working together in perfect beauty and harmony, that's what God's heart is for you. And so may we stop fighting him in this. And yield to him and say, God, I believe you. I trust you. You are doing what is best for me. What is best for your kingdom? What is best for your church? What is best for my family? What is best for my life? May the Lord help us to remember that each thread is woven with divine purpose, church. That no strand of our story is without meaning in God's hands. May he help us to see our lives through his eyes. Recognizing the beauty and the strength of the tapestry that he is creating. Especially when heaven allows a verse 7 into our lives. Let's look at this verse. Some time later, the brook dried up <laughs> because there had been no rain in the land. Again, with the nature like ours. Well, you just pretend you're Elijah for this moment. You've been hanging out at the Karath Ravine. Birds have been coming, taking care of you, drinking from the brook. But all of a sudden... It starts to dry up. We might be saying something to God like, hey, I get it, God, that you're, you, know, you brought drought to those bad people over there, but I'm one of yours. <laughs> right? Um, what do you mean, God? You mean I have to experience the drought too? When the brook began to dry up, Elijah finds himself. In an interesting situation, wouldn't you say? As he sat there day after month after year, he saw the flows slow down. He saw the depth decrease and finally disappear altogether. But there's no evidence here of Elijah panicking. Our human feelings tell us, please hear me. They tell us so loudly that once our faithful Heavenly Father gives water, He should never take it away. Come on. Once our loving, gracious Heavenly Father gives a blessing, how dare He? What right does He have to take it away? Can we be honest? Isn't that where we go? And when we stay there, you know what happens. Maybe some of you have been there. Bitterness, unbelief. We check out. We start blaming God for everything that is wrong. Well, on the contrary, church, God has every right. He is God, and we are not. When we hit a tough spot, our tendency is to feel abandoned, to become resentful, to think, how could God do this? How could he treat me like this? How could he seemingly forget all about me? Actually, (laughs) oh, if we could only get this. Actually, it is just the opposite. (laughs) Because when we find ourselves in these tough spots. We have more and more of his love and concern than ever. And that's the truth that you can take to the bank. We may not for a little while see it or feel it, but we must believe it. Amen? Again, Romans 8 few verses from 35, now verse 37, Paul writes, knowing all these things, all these things referring to the stuff that happens at Careth when we're being cut away at, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who likes us. <laughs> Through him who loves us. Does it seem that you're experiencing a drying, dying, carrot brook these days? Is there a relationship that is drying up? Are your finances drying up? Is your physical strength drying up? If you're wondering why the brook to which you thought the Lord led you to is drying up, well, hopefully what we are learning here from the life of Elijah, that we can take hope, that we can be encouraged, and that we can trust our God, that what he is doing is the very best thing for our lives. That we can learn from Elijah just to keep trusting and to keep obeying and to just keep saying yes To him, no matter the cost, whether we understand it at the front end or not. It's just, yes, I trust you, Lord. Notice that even while the brook was drying up in Kareth, the birds are still coming. There's no mention that the birds quit coming. They're still bringing the food. The bread was still coming down every day. Elijah was no doubt reminded of the incredible power and provision of God. In church, so must we. When your brook is drying up, when relationships are going amok, when finances are absent and trouble is present, <laughs> the worst thing that you could do is to look and rely on your own wisdom and strength. Big mistake. Instead, look to the bread of life. Amen. Look into the bread of the Word and receive manna from the Father. After all, it isn't in the days of prosperity and ease that we grow closest to the Lord. Isn't that true? Yes. I mean, we wished that it was, <laughs> but it's not. It isn't in the days of it is in the days of difficulty and trial that we hopefully continually learn to find ourselves turning to our God, our one true living almighty God. In the day of prosperity, it is easy for us to just kind of reach over and push the cruise button. But in the day of adversity, may we find ourselves going to God's word and being renewed in the knowledge of our God, being prepared for the next mission. When he comes to us and says, okay, it's time to go now. And let's continue this amazing journey that we are on. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning just so thankful for you. You really, really are a good, good God. You love us so much that you do not want to leave us the way we are. (laughs) You love us so much, you come and allow some circumstances into our lives that on our own we probably would not choose, but in our trusting you and in our faith in you, in our loving you, realizing because of your love for us, you allow these things because they are the best for us, because they change us and they transform us into your image. They help us get over ourselves to stop making it all about ourselves and to make it all about you and your church and your kingdom. And it is all for your glory. God, continue to strengthen us. Continue to help us keep our eyes on you. And continue, God, to help us to, in our weakness, allow your strength to come and be made known pray these saints in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So